0: Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Well, today we are, as we announced last week, uh, going to begin a new study, and we're going to be studying the life of Jesus as we find it in the Gospel of Mark, which, if you're familiar with the four different Gospels that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is by far the shortest, most quickly moving account of the life of Jesus that we find. And then to compound that, we're going to move quickly through it. So we were like, we've got 16 weeks. It's going to take us through the summer. It has 16 chapters. We said, all right, so we'll just do a chapter a week, a chapter a week, a chapter a week, all the way through the life of Jesus. And here's what that's going to require of you guys, uh, because here's what I'm going to be incapable of doing, covering it all on a Sunday, week by week by week. I don't have a shot at that. There's no way for me to take a whole chapter and go, okay, let's talk about it all. So I'm going to take it in bits and pieces. So if you're going to engage in the study of the greatest life ever lived you're gonna to have to do some things so i'm gonna ask three things of you on the front end number one if you do not have our free phone app get the app and then if you would go into the settings and turn on the notifications for personal worship, please do that because week by week, we're going to take that whole chapter that we're just going to look at a piece of on Sunday morning, and we're going to break it up into five parts Monday through Friday. We're going to add study questions to help you interact with it. We're going to put sample prayers in there so that that can kind of guide you and, and teach you how to pray, pray. You can make that your own. We give you a worship song to start in to sort of set the mood and bring you into the presence of the Lord. Interact with this. Make the time for this. Be a part of this. All right, that's number one. Number two, be here on Sunday mornings. And by here, I mean actually physically here. I do. I love the fact that we have technology. It has been a lifeline to us, between us and our people, and between every church and their people. I am all about that. It is wonderful, and we've all reengaged completely in life Come on back, because I will tell you, when you look at what the Bible says the Lord inhabits, he inhabits the praise of his people. Where is that happening? It's not your couch, I'm sorry. Maybe for you, but that would make you weird. Right? You're not singing it out on the couch. Three of you are. That's it. He inhabits the presence of his people. We come together, and here he is in our midst. Do you get the idea? For the first time in the 2,000-year history of the church, we have been enabled and, in fact, forced to gather but not together. And the question is, how do we come out of that? Because church is an embodied experience. Think of the relationships that you have built with people over the years in church. You didn't meet them online. You met them here. Think of the people who poured into your children from this church You didn't meet them online, you met them here. When you take a vow to help parents raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord every time we baptize a child, how are you going to do that? Absent the relationship that you begin to develop here. It's a different experience. And I I don't say that to to make you feel bad if you're online. I'm grateful that you're online. We've got people watching from all over the world. Somebody came up to me yesterday. and said, my brother-in-law watches from Taiwan. I'm like, wow. That's crazy and it's kind of awesome. It's a wonderful thing. We're going to be doing this study all the way through the summer and a lot of us are going to be in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out of town over the course of the summer. When you're out of town, watch it. When you're in town, I would encourage you to be here. It is a markedly different experience. So that's number two. Number three, we have a podcast. It's called Out of Water. So we're going to take the whole chapter that we look at week by week by week, 16 weeks. Personal worship. We're going to give the whole of it to you in five parts. Sunday, I'm going to deal with a piece, but then the next week we're going to come out with a podcast that Sam kasten Smith and Mark Lautenschlager put together. They are really, really brilliant Bible scholars, guys. Just so good. If you're familiar with them, they've got a great report. I think they've done like 155 of these podcasts at this point, and they're going to take the whole chapter and. Dig deeply into it for you. And what that enables you to do is put your AirPods on and, you know, go for a walk or whatever and just learn all about the life of Jesus and be transformed by it. Be a part of it. Commit and don't miss the journey. Be transformed by the greatest life ever lived. All right. So the first thing that I want you to see as we begin to dig into the gospel of Mark today is that he takes his 16-chapter book and he divides it almost in half. And in the first half, what does he talk about? He talks about who is Jesus. What is the identity of Jesus? And then in the second half, he talks about the mission of Jesus. He talks about why it is that Jesus came into the world. So part one, who is Jesus? Part two, what is the mission of Jesus? And as we jump into the who is Jesus part, here's what I want you to see, bottom line. I want you to see that when you discover who Jesus is, Okay, then, and only then, by the way, you discover who you are. Like you're floating through life thinking you're this person or that person or you're this thing or you're that thing or you're this big or you're this small. And then you see them and you're like, oh, now I know who I am. And what flows out of that is this, that when you discover who you are, then you discover your mission. So the person who's going to teach us this today is John the Baptist, and I, honestly, I can't think of a better person in the Bible to teach us this than John the Baptist, and apparently neither can Mark because John the Baptist is pretty much where he starts. We begin the study where Mark begins in Mark 1, beginning in verse 1. And listen to what he says. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then who is he? Because Mark's like, look, I got 16 chapters. I can only spend eight on who he is. I'm not going to waste any time. I'm just going to get right to the point. Jesus is the son of God, the son of God. That's remarkable. Take that in for a second. All right, so my name is Tom. My dad's name is Nelson. I am the son of Nelson. That's an honor, guys. I, I have been blessed with a truly great dad. He's an amazing man. Like, he continues to shape and to form my life. Like, I continue to be blessed by the reality that on earth I have had a terrific, amazing father. That is such an advantage in life. Believe me, the older I get, the more and the more and the more that I appreciate that. But here's who Nelson is not. He's not God. And it's like Mark is coming to us and he's going, okay, so there's us down here with all of our earthly dads. And then there's Jesus. He's the son of God different. Shockingly, stunningly different. Look, the Bible comes to us and it talks about us having a father. Jessica spoke of that. You know, we're coming to the father's head. We sang about that already this morning. We are through faith in that Jesus who is the son of God. And because he is the son of God, we are through faith in him forgiven. We are washed. We are filled with his spirit. We are brought into the family of God as adopted sons and daughters of God. So we are children of God, but here's what I'm not. I'll just use me as the example. I was not conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. I did not exist with the Father from all of eternity past. I am not the one for whom and through whom all things were created and by whom all things are held together. You do not see the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in me. All of those superlatives and so many more are applied and can only be applied to Jesus. Mark's like, guys, you discover who you are when you discover who he is, and then your mission flows out of that. Like He's like, let me just tell you right out of the gate, I'm, I got tight time here. I'm, just, I'm dealing with a short window. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And now let's talk about John the Baptist because he's the best person, I think, to reveal how everything gets prioritized in light of who Jesus is and how mission is found. So he goes directly to a prophecy from the book of Isaiah that is actually not about Jesus. It's about John. So Isaiah looks forward 750 years in time, and he sees the ministry of John, which is a preparatory ministry for the ministry of Jesus. And Mark quotes him, and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger. Who's that? Well, all four of the gospels say, that's John. Jesus says, that's John. I send my messenger before your face whose face the face of Jesus and what will John do he will prepare your way he'll prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus that is coming immediately on the heels of the ministry of John he's sent before him to get everybody ready and how will he do that I love this he will be the voice of one what whispering in the wilderness muttering in the wilderness talking in a normal tone like I'm doing now in the wilderness he's going after it in the wilderness He is crying in the wilderness. There is a passion to this man and to his message. And more than that, when you look at this in the Greek language, you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a continual action. It's not like he calls a press conference and says, listen, I got a one-time message. I'm going to deliver it once, make sure you know the sound quality and the video quality is good because I I only have enough energy to say this one time. Jesus is coming. Y'all need to get ready. Okay, put that out on john.com. He won't be quiet about it. Hey, John, you know what do you think about the NFL draft that's coming up? I mean, you know the Dolphins traded away some of their picks in the room, but they got Tyreek. Hill. What do you listen? I like the Dolphins, but let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, John, how's life going for you? You know, I heard that your mother and you know, no, no, listen, I love my mom. But let me tell you about Jesus. And what do you think of the weather? Well, we're out in the Judean wilderness, so it's pretty much the same every day. It's 100, it's dry. Why are we having this conversation? Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm not saying he was obnoxious or that we should be, but I'm saying he and we have a message. And by comparison, everything else is trivial. It's a message about Jesus. He's crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths in your heart, in your life, and in the hearts and lives of everyone that you have the privilege and responsibility of touching. Okay, make them straight for the Lord. And then immediately he says, John's the guy. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that is found not in John and not in Tom and not in you. But in the one who alone is the Son of God, the King of the universe, the Master of all, the one who alone is the Savior, who alone is the Deliverer, who alone is the Lord. There's Jesus, and then there's no one else anywhere like him. And then he gives us this statement that I want you to see, but really, honestly, what I want you to do is to feel this as this storyline develops. Because it's a statement not about the greatness of Jesus, but about the greatness of John. You know what Jesus says about John? He says, no one ever born of a woman is greater than John. Now, he's not obviously talking about himself. He's accepting himself. That's clear. But he speaks of John being incredibly great. When you read in the other gospels the story about John, you realize this man was filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. Mary pregnant with Jesus, walks into the home of Elizabeth, pregnant with John, and it says that the baby, when they hear Mary's voice, leaped with joy inside of her. Try to imagine the power of this man's ministry. The presence of God on this guy. It's not surprising when you think about it that way that Mark says this. He uses the word all. That's, that's, that's a big word. You know, you don't like it when people say, all. It's like never, always. Do you love that? You're talking to your wife. You never. Okay, occasionally I do, actually. You know what? You always. Come on now, let's not get carried away. All. He says, all the country of Judea. That's this whole region and all the city of Jerusalem. So now I want you to think, thousands upon thousands of people, okay, we're going out to John. Where? Out in the Judean wilderness. That's where he's at. He's down by the Dead Sea. And they were baptizing him in the river Jordan, confessing, are baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins and being taught to look for the one who alone can forgive the sins. Now, when I've talked about the Judean wilderness in the past, and I've taken a bunch of you on several different trips in which we have passed through the Judean wilderness, and I'm just going to say it in the only way that you want to see the Judean wilderness, which is through the window of an air-conditioned bus, because it looks like that. Like just a lot of that. Miles and miles of that, square miles of that. Like if you lived in this region and you said to your wife, hey, honey, you know, why don't we take the kids camping? Which as an aside, if I did that, Beth would take a DNA sample to make sure it's actually me, right? She'd be like, this is not, an alien has invaded you. But we're just speaking hypothetically. Let's take the kids camping, you know, get them ready. You know, the kids are all excited. Your wife is like excited. We're all jazzed. We're going to go camp. By the way, where are we going go camping? Are we going to go to En That's a beautiful oasis. Are we going to go, you know, you know, up by Mount Carmel? Like it's gorgeous up there. It's green. And ah, I thought we'd go out in the Judean wilderness. Yeah, I think you're going to go by yourself. That's where people go to die. Like there's no water there. What, I mean, what do they have? They have scorpions. They have snakes. This is not a vacation destination. But it is in the Bible the place that God calls his people when he calls them out of death and slavery. When he makes a covenant with them and renews them. It's very strategic. It's intentional. Thousands upon thousands of people are going out to see John the Baptist there. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that before everybody was buzzing around Jesus, they were buzzing around John before they were asking for Jesus autograph. They wanted John's autograph before all the reporters showed up and started sticking microphones in the face of Jesus. Would you comment on this? Would you talk about that? What do you think about, you know, whatever. And they were doing this with John before it was Jesus.com. It was John.com. Like John's YouTube channel was killing it. Let that fill you up for a second as a person. It feels kind of nice, doesn't it? Boy, I like that. That's about to end. And I want you to see how he responds. He becomes so popular that in some of the other gospels, like the Apostle John's gospel, not John the Baptist, two different people, But he talks about John the Baptist as well. He's like, man, he was such a phenom out there in the wilderness. So many people were going that like, you know, all the religious leaders in Jerusalem got together and they said, we got to send a delegation out there who wants to go. And they're like, nobody, none of us want to go. Thank you so much. And they're like, well, then we're going to draw straws. And then the short straw guys had to go out into the Judean wilderness with this question of, are you the Christ? Because that's how powerful your ministry looks to us. Like, is that who you're claiming to be? Are you the long-awaited Messiah? Are you the one who is the Son of God? Are you the... Are you Jesus? Notice what John the Baptist says. And it's so emphatically stated. In John 1, verse 20, it says that John confessed and did not deny but confessed. It's like he got up on a table and jumped up and down and said, please don't miss this. I'm confessing, not denying, but confessing. And what does he say? I am, and the next word's the most important one, not the Christ. And in a second, he's going to tell us who he is. But how does he know who he is? Because he knows who Jesus is. And when you discover who Jesus is, then you discover who you are. That's the idea. And then you get your mission out of that. But when you discover who Jesus is, one of the things you discover is who you're not. And actually, if you embrace that, like you you lean into that instead of rejecting that, it's kind of a relief. You're just like, wait a minute. So I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not even the center of my universe. Maybe that's okay. I mean, the longer you live, the realize the the, the better you realize what a terrible god you make. You're like, no, I just I'm real, I'm actually not very good at this. Like, and not only that, like if I'm not the center of the universe, then does that? So the weight of the world is not on me. Not even of my world, then, is it on me. John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they, the delegation of short straw guys, asked him, well, you know, well, then what are you? Because we got to know the answer to this question. And we can't just go back with, nope, he's not the Christ. Because then they'll go, well, did you ask him who he was? Oh, crud. You know, like, get some more water, you know. Well, what then? Are you Elijah? Again, he says, I am not. Are you the prophet foretold by Moses who would speak the word of God like Moses spoke the word of God, which is actually just a different way of again saying, are you the Christ? And John answered, no. And so it seems to me that if John the Baptist knew anything about himself, it is who he wasn't. And he knew who he was not because he knew the one who is. Look, Jesus is God, and all the rest of us are just people. And please don't let that make you feel depreciated. That's not like a, a sign of a low value. And in fact, I mean, if you think about the way that it works out, God in the person of Jesus Christ has come into the world in love for you, and so valuing you, he lays down his life that he might forgive you cleanse you, fill you, and claim you, yes, as his adopted sons and daughters, that he might repurpose your life and make something of it, that he might give you eternal life and spend it for forever with you. People matter. But people are just dust. I mean, in the final analysis, I'm just dust and so are you. And the Bible doesn't deny us that. It tells us that on page one. Like you come to Genesis chapter one and the Lord God creates the first man from whom the rest of humanity ultimately comes out of the, say it with me, what? Dust. Nine of you, that was good. (laughs) He creates us out of the dust. And then what does he do? He does what only God can do. He breathes into the dust, the breath of life and the dust becomes a living soul. Don't miss that. And two chapters later in chapter three, what happens? Sin enters into the world and death with it. And what does God do? He comes and he says to the man and to the woman, our first parents, let me tell you what sin and death have introduced. Here's what they do. They reduce you back to the dust. When we had Ash Wednesday several months ago now. Many of you were there and you came forward and, you know, I stood here and some other pastors were up here and we had our thumbs in the dust and the ashes of the palm branches from the previous Palm Sunday, the finest kind of dust, tiny bit. You can do thousands. It's amazing. God says to them, and we said to each other on that night from dust, you have come and because of sin and death to dust, you shall return. I'm dust, you're dust, and none of us can do a thing to change that. But who animates the dust? Because he offers himself to us in Jesus. God animates the dust. He breathes into it. He brings it to life. But I think on a practical level, you know, being dust is helpful knowledge. I mean, it helps you to realize some of your limitations by nature. You can see I'm different from God in a lot of different ways. I'll give you a few. God doesn't need to sleep. He's the God who never sleeps or slumbers. You know what? I need to sleep. I actually need to sleep more than I do. So do you. God needs a break, or God doesn't need a break. He never needs to take a day off. Now, he does take a day off as a part of the creation story, but he does that as a gift to the rest of us. He claims one day out of seven. And then he commands us because he knows that we're dust and we forget to rest from all of our usual labors on that day. How are you doing in that, by the way? It's so, I mean, you know, technology. I mean, it just chases you everywhere you go. You can be on the moon and you're like, I'm getting text messages about, you know, really. I'm checking my emails because I'm addicted a little bit. Okay, a lot. He's like, you know what? Shut it down for a day, like all the way down. Shut it down for a day of rest and a day of worship where you gather together with God's people where I am and you sit beneath my word and you offer to me the worship that I, God, deserve. You come to give, not to get. My day, God says, but I give it to you as a gift. And if you'll use it the way I've designed it, because I've designed you, it will be a gift to you. But God doesn't need a break. He doesn't need to take a day off. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need friends. That's another thing. He didn't create us because he was lonely. Hey, I'm bored. I'll create some people. That's like saying I'll create some problems. You know, like I'm not going to do that. Why do I want to do that? It's happy. I'm, I'm good as God. Like, I, you know. But I need friends. And you need Friends. Even the most introverted among us, really, and I'm mildly introverted, so like I lean that direction, need people in our lives. Okay, last thing that God doesn't need but we need is to be renewed, which is kind of sort of a compilation of these things. We need to be spiritually renewed. I mean, Paul talks about being renewed in his inner man. How frequently? Every day. Wait a minute. That's personal worship, is it not? I'm being renewed in my inner man every day as I'm coming into the transformational presence of Jesus and engaging in the greatest life ever lived and praying, Lord, meet with me in this time that I have. Let your spirit speak to me, shape me, form me, change me in this. We need to be renewed spiritually. We need to be renewed physically, thus the rest, thus the day off. We need to be renewed emotionally. Thus, our need for friends. That's our need for finding some things that we enjoy, that are energizing and life-giving. And when we don't make the time necessary to fulfill these needs, what are we doing? Well, we're claiming to be someone that we're not. We're forgetting who Jesus is, and as a result, who we are. And we're ignoring the reality that we're not the center of the universe or even of our universe and the world, you know, all of its weight, it's actually, it's not on me and not even my world's weight is on me. And you know what? There is a God here that I can entrust this to and in obedience to his command, I can, for example, take a day off and trust in his work more than my own. He can't divide loaves and fish if we don't bring them to him. He's like, come on, try me in this. So these guys come to John. He's like, all right, so are you the Christ? He's like, no, Elijah, not him either. Okay, are you? No, no, I'm not, I'm not. And then they say to him, all right, well, then who are you? Because we need to give an answer to those who sent us. And so what do you say about yourself? And notice what John says, because he goes like into Mark, if you will, to the same passage of Scripture in Isaiah. And he's like, yeah, you know what Isaiah said? I'm that guy. John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, passionately and continuously, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. When you discover who Jesus is, then you discover who you are. And when you discover who you are, then you discover your mission. It flows out of your identity. My mission is his. It's the same mission as John. It is to be a passionate voice. Constantly and continuously, not obnoxiously, but I'm on task. I'm on mission. I'm on message. I am looking for ways to point people to Jesus because here's what I know about me and about you and everyone other than Jesus. Uh, It is that I am not the Christ. I am not the creator. I am not the sustainer. I I got nothing, but I have him and I have him to offer. John is all about that, and he has zero ego in it. And we know that because of the way the rest of his story plays out. So these guys, this Jerusalem delegation, they get the answers that he gives, and then they probably joyfully begin to head home and the next day, John is out there and he's got the big crowd, you know, and the reporters have got the microphones and everybody wants an autograph and, you know, I don't know, his TV is like, show is blowing up and it's, it's just like, it's amazing and, and it is all systems go and firing in the crowd and he's into it and Jesus walks up and John's like, time out. Remember yesterday, these guys asked me, are you the Christ? I said, no, I'm just pointing to him. He said, let me be real specific. It's him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what happens? Because naturally this would happen. Yeah, like three-fourths of his people get up and leave and go follow Jesus. You feeling that? Okay. So then the day after that, again, he's up there doing his thing. Lot less people, no reporters. Zero autograph requests. He's already feeling what? Low about himself? That depends on your mission, doesn't it? that depends on what you rejoice in that depends on where you find your value and your significance if it's attached to visible success then when that's gone you're not just depressed you're you're destroyed jesus shows up again he's like perfect opportunity to get rid of the rest of my people right like he's he's like if you missed it the last two days i'm not the christ he is, and even some of his most intimate disciples get up and leave and go follow Jesus. And then the finance team comes to him and says, dude, the Jesus is killing us. Like, this is, we can't sustain this. I mean, the offerings are in the tank. You know, nobody's watching you on your YouTube channel. Like, we had the first Baptist church, and now Jesus you're diminishing your, your, your ministry is imploding. You're he's like, I'm not diminishing. I love what he says. John three, verse 27, John answered, please take this to heart. Okay. Listen to this very specifically. And think about it. Think about everything that you have. Physically, all of your possessions, all of your resources, but even personally, all of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your experiences, all of your hurts, all of your joys, all of your successes, like everything that comprises you. John says a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Whoo! He's like, yeah, that big crowd and the success and that success. That was from heaven. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, and are you kidding me? If you're going to take it away to follow Him, that's my whole purpose in life. <laughs> that's the reason I'm here. It's to get everybody ready to go do what now they're doing. That tells me that my ministry is working. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said that I am not the Christ, but that I have been sent before him in order to point people to him is the point. The one who has the bride, and clearly it's Jesus, they're all following him. Just look, is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, that's all that I am, guys, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice, even though the bridegroom has just, at least in John's case, entirely stolen the limelight. John's like, good, look, either you guys point the lights on him, or I'm going to go back and I'll adjust them myself. That's where they need to be. Therefore, he says, this joy of mine in seeing the bride go to the bridegroom's church, if you will, is now complete. He, meaning Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. How do you get to that? You discover who Jesus is, and then in the process, you discover who you are. That's step one. And what you realize is part of that is who you're not. Okay, so I'm not that, and that means I am this. And the universe doesn't revolve around me, and the weight of the world isn't on me. And as you discover who you are, then you discover what your mission is. What is your mission? It's make him known. It's lift him up. It's love him well. It's obey him. It's follow him. It's point your children to him. It's all of these things. It's worship him. It's, it's give yourself to him daily and say, Lord, how do you want to use me? I die daily to me that I might live daily to Jesus. That's the idea. You're a passionate voice constantly, continuously pointing people to Jesus. Does that describe you? and then joyfully paying whatever price needs to be paid to exalt him. Well, that's going to diminish me in the eyes of other people if I say that I'm a follower of Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Oh, well, that's going to be costly to me in terms of the way that I use my time or some of the financial plans that I've made and blah, 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 blah. You know what? He must increase. I must decrease. It all flows out of who he is, who I am. And then I go, I know what I'm supposed to do. I love how Mark puts it back in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, and John preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. He's trying to say, look at the difference between us. I can't believe you guys are even asking me this. Like, one who is mightier than I, let me tell you my position related to him. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. The lowliest Jewish servant was not even required to do that. He's like, I'm lower than the low. He goes, guys, I've baptized you with water. I mean, you know, here... Let me splash you, come get a drink. He is going to immerse you with someone different, with the Holy Spirit, power and life, the one who hovered above the waters of chaos. who transformed everything and will transform us as well. So I close with this, question number one, do you know who Jesus is? You know, and as you look at your life, and you go, well, maybe I forgot a little bit because I am sort of the center of my universe. Well, that's a place we all find ourselves far more frequently than we're willing to admit. So I am trying to get everybody to do what I want then. Yes. I've made it about me and you're telling me. Then you get to come back. But if you really like authentically don't know who Jesus is and you're just kind of exploring that idea, it's pretty cool. And we didn't really plan it this way that this Thursday night right here in Alpha, the question is, who is Jesus? So if that describes you, come, come and join us and come hungry. And then the second question is, are you living as if you're him? Center of universe guy, weight of the universe person. And it's crushing Or are you living on mission? Which is the other option. It gives you the ability to point people to Jesus. And you can look at these markers and go, yeah, all right. So do I make time to sleep? Okay, so do I take a day off? Okay, so do I have time in my life for friends? Okay, so am I being physically and spiritually and emotionally renewed because I'm just dust? And I have a God who says, yeah, you know what? You need these things. And because I'm God and I'm in control, you can do it. What a gift. So do you know Jesus? And if you have questions about him and you just want to settle that today, we'll be up here after the service and would love to talk to you and pray with you. And then secondly, all right, are you living as if you're him or are you living on mission? Wrestle with that, okay, in a good way knowing that there is forgiveness in Jesus and strength in the joy of his presence and power to change and then join us on the journey. Personal worship, be here, and podcast. All right? Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for um, the example of this amazing man that we know of as John the Baptist. Oh, Lord, the humility that, that we see in this man is, is you know, it's humbling at least to me. But far more so, we are grateful for the one to whom the whole of John's life existed to point, And that is Jesus. Lord, as we enter into this study, as we enter into this day, we pray, God, that you would show us Jesus and in response that you would show us who we are and who we're not, that you would clothe us in the righteousness of Christ, that you would forgive us through the sacrifice of the life of Christ, that you would fill us with the spirit of Christ, and that you would send us out on mission. Let us point people to you and find joy in the doing of it. God, we love you. We praise you. We lift you up today. We look for you. We long for you. We trust in you. We hope you, hope in you. Let us find our identity in you. Reveal to us in this study who you are and set everything else then in our lives right. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.